Ladies and gentlemen, good evening and welcome to the Apple Store Soho for a very exciting special event. We're really glad you could all make it tonight to meet the artist Dave Gibbons. Comic industry veteran Dave Gibbons has been involved in the comic world internationally for the last 35 years. In 1982, he began his long association with DC Comics, drawing the Green Lantern series. Since then, he has both drawn and written many of their major characters, including Superman and Batman. Probably his most well-known work is the award-winning comic series and graphic novel, Watchmen, which he illustrated and co-created with writer Alan Moore. Go ahead, make some noise. <laughs> yeah. Tonight, he joins us to discuss Watchmen, which is soon to be a major motion picture from Warner Brothers Pictures and Paramount Pictures. Arguably the most honored graphic novel ever created, Watchmen was named one of the best 100 best novels of all time by Time Magazine. In a little while, you'll be treated to material from the film. You'll get to watch Dave create an original sketch and participate in a moderated discussion with you, the audience. Before we introduce tonight's special guest, I'd like you to know that tonight's discussion is moderated by TV and Film Guy from DC Comics. Please welcome Gregory Novak. Hey. So. I know that I'm not the main attraction. How many people here know Watchmen? Ah, you've all experienced it. So you're all here because you're all, you know, addicted and you want more, right? Okay. So I'm not going to do my normal thing, which is talking about how, you know, Watchmen was a, a, a definitive moment in comics and in pop culture, how it's grown into some, you know, major phenomenon of the last 20 years, how it's the kind of thing if you're a comic book fan and your friends who have no idea what the hell comic books are and they think it's all wham, bow. Baff, Biff, and you say, you know, read Watchmen, and they come back and go, oh. Um, so I'm not going to do all that, right? Because you guys all know it? Yeah. Okay. So what we're going to show you tonight is a tease um, of the movie, and, and just a, a brief thing on the movie. I mean, as most of you know who've been following the project, it's had a rather long gestation period, but I think ultimately all for the best. I think... You know, what happens with these projects over time, the ones that are the most difficult ones that they say will never get made or can't be made or the script is so frickin' good that you couldn't possibly make it. Um, and that's, you know, we all know about movies like that. It takes a while. Well, what ends up happening is over time, you sort of get to the right filmmaker. And we got really lucky and blessed um, that Warner Brothers ended up with Zack Snyder. And I think you're gonna see an example of this work tonight and I hope and I, I presume that once you see an example of this, you will then show up on March 6, 2009 to see the movie, and then again on March 7th, and then tell your friends so they can come the following Friday. That would be great. Um, so this is just a, a quick clip from, from some scenes from the movie, and then uh, we'll get on with the uh, program after that. Um, so, Watchmen. There's uh, two and a half more hours where that came from. And for those of you wondering, in the uh, movie you'll see in the theaters, rated R, Dr. Manhattan will be anatomically correct um, and, to, and uh, to scale. Um, so now it is an absolute pleasure uh, to introduce our, our uh, guest of honor. I mean, as a comic book fan, when you're a kid, you read comics, you don't really pay attention to who's writing them or who's drawing them. And then after a while, things start to click, and you're like, oh, I kind of like that style. Who's that? Oh, that's this Dave Gibbons dude. And then you sort of click to things, and you start 
reading things like Watchmen when you really are way too young to be reading Watchmen. And, uh, but you keep following that work, and it's really been uh, a pleasure as a fan to see Dave Gibbons' work not only evolve you know, through Watchmen, but to you know, so many of the characters and books that he's drawn and written over the years. I mean, I love you know, his Green Lantern work. Uh, that's some of my favorite stuff. And frankly, he uh, wrote and drew a book called The Originals. That's really one of my favorite books in the last five years. Uh, available from DC Vertigo at all your finer bookstores. Um, but it's, it's a phenomenal piece. So it is uh, my pleasure to introduce, uh, you know, again, one of, one of the really most talented people in our business today, sometimes confused with Eric Clapton's younger, better-looking brother, uh, Dave Gibbons. Hello. Well, uh, thanks, Greg. And I'd also like to say I am also anatomically correct, but you just have to take my word for it. Um, so we'll start with a few questions, and then we'll, we'll open it up to the floor. Um, and, you know, I, even though I'm a huge fan, I will admit to not having read every interview ever. So some of you may have and will know some of this information already. When, you know, you guys originally were working on Watchmen, I mean, prior to that, really, it was sort of derivations of the Charlton characters. At what point once it was decided, okay, we're not going to do the Charlton characters, we're going to do these original characters that you're going to create, when, when did the title Watchmen happen? Was that early or late in the process? Um, I think it was um, early in the process. I, ca I can't remember if the first outline that I read was actually called Watchmen, but I have no memory of it being called anything else, and certainly the name would have come from um, Alan, and as you know, it's from the... Uh, you're all obviously familiar with the work of the... Uh, ancient Roman satirist Juvenal and um, you know the where it actually comes from is you know the the Ro Roman army had to go on campaign and they were really worried about their wives and the Senate said don't worry we'll have watchmen to look after your wives and they said yeah well that's good but who's going to watch the watchmen so that's where Alan got it from but it's always been watchmen to me it's never been Charlton heroes or anything like that um, and when you were designing the, the issues, I mean, you had, you know, I think some, some self-imposed challenges, right? Because there were not only stylistic choices that were made, but also cases where you, you know, paralleled panels from what, you know, pa panel layout from one issue to the other. Was it, was it just a little bit of the, uh, you know, the hubris of youth to say, let's just go for it? Or, I mean, was it even planned in that sense? Or? Well, I think there was a point, you know, what we really wanted to do with Watchmen was to do the kind of superhero comic that we wanted to read. And, you know, it's a kind of a hallmark, I think, of my art and of Alan's writing as well, that everything has to mean something. You know, it's not just meaningless detail or approximation. Everything is very precise. And um, from our earlier collaborations for 2000 AD, the British science fiction comic, um, I think Alan knew that anything he asked me to draw, I would probably be able to draw. So it wasn't like he made it difficult for me, but he thought, okay, I can get really complex with this because Dave can handle it. Um, and, you know, there's something about if a thing's worth doing, you don't mind it being difficult. In fact, it becomes part of the fun, that, that it's a really challenging thing to do. M much more interesting than just knock off more yards of the, of, of the usual stuff. So in a way, we probably did make things difficult for ourselves. And I, I also clearly remember that it was about issue three, the one that starts off with the news vendor talking to the kid and the panels from the pirate comic, 
when we realised that what we were really doing was not only doing a comic about superheroes, but kind of a comic about comics, you know, to use all the tricks in the book to do what you can only do in comics, you know, the panel progressions, keeping a fixed camera and moving the background, moving the camera and keeping the background fixed, having pictures going across several panels. You know, we really started to get into playing with the kind of grammar and the aesthetics of comic books. But again, to us, it was a wonderful game. We, we really enjoyed it, and Alan was giving it 100%, at least, and I was trying to do the same. You know, it was like a, a kind of high-level game. And you've had you you had stylistic choices to make in the sense that when the art that you draw for Black Freighter is radically different in style and in, and in scope and, and composition than anything else you know than, than the other uh, the regular narrative. Um, was that was that like almost uh, did did you guys know you're going to do the Black Freighter stuff early on or is that something that fed in as you progressed? Um, well, back at the very beginning um, when we. We realised that what we wanted to do is to explore what a world would be like, this world would be like, if it really had a superhero, if it really had a Dr Manhattan, or there really were costumed adventurers, what changes would that make to the world? And I just sort of generated loads of ideas, like different fast foods, different fashions, and I thought, ah, probably, you know, if there were costume characters running around, they wouldn't seem so novel in a, in a comic book, so probably in this world they wouldn't have superhero comics what else has got the kind of you know adventure and color and i thought oh, pirate comics yeah that's that that could be good so it was just a note that i wrote down pirate comics question mark um and actually in the very first issue when the detectives are walking out of edward blake's apartment block they walk past the newsstand which isn't the newsstand that we eventually evolve it's just a newsstand and there's a kid leaning up against it reading a pirate comic and I thought, well, that's, that's it for the pirate comics. That's a nice little thing to draw in the background. But then, you know, as is Alan's way, he'll pick on a, a thing that most of us would just ignore and make it into something really, really um, striking. And that's what he did with the pirate comic. And it, it, was, it, it worked particularly well, actually, because when you, you, we, f we go to the pirate comic, that's scenes that are happening on the intersection. So it's basically just a kid and an old guy talking which visually speaking is not even though it's obviously very well drawn isn't isn't particularly you know oh wow so it's nice to get in there a bit of you know blood and gore and and bloated corpses and stuff like that you know and i don't know that i necessarily drew it in a radically different style i mean i tried to make it lurid and i tried to make it uh, exciting but i think uh, it's another instance where um john higgins should get his mention and, 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 and his credit because a lot of it was the way that he coloured it and he made sure that it was coloured again in that really garish EC comics kind of style. It's very EC. Um, and now sort of, you know, you've had the experience over the last, you know, 20 odd years of seeing this not only evolve as a phenomenon but now, you know, the movie's made and it's being disseminated through media that didn't exist when you drew the comic. You know, I mean, we were doing the motion comic available on iTunes. The uh, uh, pitching, <laughs> um, you know, where the the Black Freighter animated. Obviously, there was animated media at the time, but um, you know what, what's been fascinating about seeing how how uh, Zach has approached the movie for me, and I'd be curious uh, to hear your perspective is is how he's really embraced the theme of Watchmen as you know what you and Alan did was well if these if these characters existed then what would the world be like 
and he's really um, embraced that in producing the movie in the sense that, you know, okay, the movie is not just a movie that's going to come out. It's, uh, he's recognizing the fact that the book has become a cultural touchstone and that they feed off of each other, and that sort of generates all sorts of other, you know, ripples of, uh, uh, of cultural impact, if you will. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's one of the really interesting things that Zach has identified, you know, that it is something is, that is now embedded in, in pop culture. And in the movie itself, you know, uh, um, we kind of see how pop culture in the world of the Watchmen is different. You know, I mean, he's got Andy Warhol in there. There's a, a brief little thing with Andy Warhol with the multiple screen prints of Night Owl, you know, which is fantastic or or Adrian Veidt shaking hands with David Bowie, you know, which is... Uh, so I, I think Zach has got a very good grasp of popular culture. Um, and, um, yeah, and I think the, the, the movie can only, you know, keep it even more in the forefront of popular culture. When you were drawing the book, you know, the, the, the clothing styles, etc., that was very contemporary at the time. And, you know, and so you probably didn't have to do a tremendous amount of research in terms of, gee, what would she be wearing today? Um, and yet here we are as Zach's making the movie, he's really using your book as the template for the costume design. And, uh, you know, it's been really interesting to sort of see the decisions they make in the sense that, you know, some things are absolutely exactly true to what you drew and others are, are a little, they're just more inspired by because, you know, of, of, uh, of styles that have changed. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think, um, you see, Watchmen is a comic book about comic books and superheroes but Watchmen in a way is a movie about comic book movies and superhero movies so if you look at the way the, the costume that I drew for Night Owl for instance it's like a cloth costume it's like the costumes that the Minutemen who you saw have got on and it wouldn't have looked right in a movie but the suit he's got on makes you think of the Batman movies or the X-Men movies or, or, or something like that without so, infringing on trademark just to of be course. clear of course. Is that trademarked, X-Men, is that? Oh, uh, yeah, I think so. All right. So, um, um, you know, so it's making the same, same kind of commentary. And there's also the thing that perhaps refers to your earlier question, which I think I only semi-answered, is that, you know, Watchmen, the graphic novel or the comic book, came along at a point when superhero comics were due for a bit of a, a bracing cold shower. And um, I think maybe the movies come along at a similar time or it can comment on superhero movies and the audience, the general audience, is familiar enough with superheroes that it doesn't have to have it explained to them. Oh, these are costume characters. They're going to fight crime. They've got secret identities. Everybody knows that. So the timing from a pop culture point of view is very good. Yeah, I would agree. Um, let's uh, open it up to questions. Yes, sir. Um, well, you know, Alan came up with the name Rorschach, and obviously it's based on the Rorschach blots. And um, I think it was just this idea of... The, the idea is that you look into Rorschach's face, and depending on your mental state, you see whatever you like. There's nothing threatening per se about a man with black shapes on his face. But if, you know, if, if you're an evildoer, you will probably see something evil looking back at you. Um, and I think the fact that they shift is something that we kind of hinted at in the comic book, although not everybody noticed it in the comic book, despite the fact that in the first issue there's a fixed shot of him with the, the blots moving. But in the movie, it's, it's really chilling. And it, it's funny, it's the effect... I've seen people dressed as Rorschach at kind of costume parades and things, 
And it's like, you know, how unsettling it is to talk to somebody who's got really dark glasses on because you can't really see what they're thinking. And talking to somebody with a full face mask, even with a static blot, is a little frightening. And I'm not an evildoer, you know, I only see pretty butterflies. And, um, so the effect of it squirming around, uh, well, when you see the movie, you'll see that it's very chilling. What did, uh, what did, what did you think of the look of the movie? Um, so what, far, compared to the book. Yeah, well, I mean, the movie looks a lot like the book. And, and I mean, for me to sit there and watch it, because, you know, when you draw a comic book, you kind of, you see a little movie in your head and you think, oh, yeah, that's the moment. So he's just walked that far and we can see that behind him, but that makes a nice pattern with that. And when I'm sitting there watching the movie, I think, uh, this is going to be the bit. And it, the picture that I drew happens and then it moves on. So there are scenes in it that look exactly the way I drew them. There's dialogue, which is exactly what Alan wrote. The colour palette of the whole thing is exactly John Higgins's colour palette. Even you were talking about costumes earlier. I was amazed really early on to see a clip of um, Laurie in some kind of weird sort of 80s fashion. And the colour that they'd used was exactly the colour that John had used. They could have used any colour. They could have said, OK, we're going to... But, but so the look and the feel of it and the atmosphere of it, to me, is it's just what I saw in my head. Which character is the most fun to draw? Which character was the hardest to lock down a design for? Well, as I said earlier, um, it being hard doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't good fun, you know what I mean? And, and it was, we did fortunately have enough lead time on it that we had a chance to really think about the costumes and to really refine them until they were exactly what we wanted. Quite often in a comic book, you know, they'll introduce a new villain on, on page four and you just kind of make him up as you go along and then you discover that he's going to be a major character who you're going to have to draw every day for the next three years, you know. Uh, with Watchmen, I knew I was going to have to draw these characters a lot and I was going to have to really enjoy drawing them and they had to be different. Um, so one of the, the first things I did was to make sure, and any of you out there who are aspiring uh, artists or superhero artists or, or, or visualisers or whatever, if you design a character, they should be identifiable from their silhouette alone. So if you look at the characters in Watchmen, I've tried to make all their body shapes different, all their head shapes different. You know, if you saw a silhouette of them, you, you know who it was. So that was, that was one challenge. Um, Rorschach was comparatively easy because he's a guy in a trench coat and a hat with a block mask, you know. Um, Dr. Manhattan was pretty easy as well. He's an anatomically correct naked blue guy for, you know. And um, uh, so somebody like Night Owl took a lot of refining just to get the exact details of the boots as, as he got... It's these things you wouldn't even notice. Do the boots come up to a point? No, that's Superman and Batman. Are they just level? No, that always looks a bit clunky. Ah, oh, they're that shape. They're like a wing shape. Ah, oh, that's... You know, you, you kind of go through those things. The comedian as well, we went through lots of versions. There was one where he was in camouflage, which was kind of boring because, you know, he disappeared into the background, you know. Um, so I couldn't pick any one of them out. As, as is perhaps well known... The name Night Owl was a thing I came up with when I was like 14 years old, you know, making up my own comics. So he's always been a particular favourite of mine just because it's something that, you know, I'd nurtured for a long time. And then there he is on the silver screen, you know. I actually have a question because um, Alan's known for having very specific scripts that he generates. What about, what did he, was Bubastis very specifically described in his script or was that just a conversation where it was like, let's revive this? that may never have existed? And um, 
yeah, it was like a lynx. It was yeah. a big, a big lynx. So maybe I made the ears a little bit longer to show that it was a mutant. Maybe I forget actually. Maybe coloured an unlikely colour. Right. But it just had to be like you know, Adrian Veidt's pet. Right. So I think you know, probably for reference, I just got a tiger and gave it long ears, probably. <laughs> In the back there. Sloppy work. I mean, Isaac made a very specific choice in, in the movie and to keep it in the period in which it was written, to keep it in 1985. And that was a, a topic of a lot of debate, both internally at the studio and, frankly, among the fan base. You know, there's the, there are the purists who say, it's got to be 1985. Others say, well, that's not really what the story is about. Zach clearly felt in the former category. And, you know, and, it's, and it was a question that was raised many times. Will people today be... Uh, be uh, uh, be able to start to understand the thematics that are being played out in the Cold War in the book and in the movie. Well, I actually think that was Zach's masterstroke to set it in the 1980s because I think that absolutely makes it timeless. You know, it's like a period piece. It's like some Victorian novel or something like that. It talks about general human, it, eternal human concerns, but because it isn't now and it isn't what's in the news now because it isn't some confused take on say the war on terror which frankly we don't even quite understand yet and because it goes back to a really primal easy to understand you know there's us and there's them we've got weapons they've got weapons it's it, it's a face-off you know and that's a thing which i'm sure has been uh, a constant in human culture for as long as there have been been humans as is the idea of you know, a, a uniting threat from outside. So I think that uh, at its heart, Watchmen is about kind of timeless themes. And I think that by making it a period piece, it separates it from the mess of every day now and makes it have a classic kind of feel. Over there in the red, what, what was your involvement with the feature and uh, how did Zach approach you <coughs> and how did you work with them? Well, actually, um, I approached Zach because um, very shortly after I heard that he was going to be the director, and as you realise, there have been lots of directors and lots of people associated with Watchmen over the years, um, I actually got invited to the UK premiere of 300, and I was really bowled over by what a kind of a faithful adaptation Zach had done of Frank Miller's graphic novel. I thought he'd exactly got the tone of it, and the grandiose, larger-than-life, tall tale kind of feeling of it and actually at the, the party after the premiere Zach was on his way to the VIP area which at that point you know I would have been barred access to <laughs> not now <laughs> um, and I kind of tapped him on the shoulder and said oh Zach I'd just like to say hi I'm Dave Gibbons and he, he stopped and I only wanted just to say hello but we ended up chatting for half an hour or something like that and I knew then that he absolutely got it from what he was saying to me about Watchmen, his enthusiasm, the, the, the things that he was focused on. Uh, from that very early point, I thought, yeah, this is the guy who can actually do it. And, I, and since then, I have occasionally gone out on a bit of a limb because I, you know, I'm not paid to say good things about the movie, but I genuinely have got the impression that it's going to be a fantastic movie. Uh, unfortunately, now that a few people have seen it and uh, clips have been online and everything, um, I think probably I was right, um, which is nice because I look kind of stupid if I, if I was wrong. Um, so that was how I, I got involved. I haven't done a, well, I haven't done a, a lot really in the way of production design. You know, people say to me, so Dave, have you done any drawings for the Watchmen movie? And I say, 
thousands, but I did them 20 years ago. And, and I, I did a new sequence. There's one sequence in the movie that isn't in the graphic novel. So I, did a, I drew three new pages of Watchmen that John Higgins coloured. And actually, I think you can see the pages in one of the Watchmen movie books. I think it's probably The Art of Watchmen. Um, Maybe you might have to buy all of them just to make sure you get it. I, I would buy all of them if I were you. If I hadn't been sent copies, I would be buying them. And um, so there was that. Um, and I also read the, uh, an early screenplay and gave them some feedback on that. I was also um, shown the movie last August in a very unfinished state and actively solicited for my input on it. And of course, as you'll realise, because DC Comics owns nearly all the rights in Watchmen, they don't have to ask me to do anything. They could just go ahead and make it. So um, I'm very flattered and very pleased to be able to hopefully help it be an even better movie. Um, so that's my involvement. And I'm doing this kind of thing as well and spreading the word. If I remember, they had some production design questions too where they were wondering like, you know, if you had a certain panel that was an angle on a street or something, we're like, well, what's the rest of the street or what's the rest of the store look like, right? Well, or, yeah, well, well, that's true. But, I mean, Zach's, Zach shoots all his movies from quite explicit storyboards. And his storyboards for th that he draws himself, and his storyboards for this were big kind of scrapbooks with whole pages of the graphic novel stuck in with his drawings down the side and, and, and interspersed. So... And I do like to think as well that the way I drew Watchmen, that you could build the sets from the comic book, because I made sure... It's one thing that really irritates me with comics, is when suddenly a door appears, because the artist realises, oh, shit, he's got to walk off and there's no door. So, oh, there was a door there. I just didn't show it before. So, you know, I, in the sense that Alan wrote it to be absolutely three-dimensional and believable in the story sense, I wanted to make it completely three-dimensional in, in the way that, that I drew it. Um, so, yeah young lady in the back there? I guess beyond the color palette and some of the design, is there another aspect of the film that you feel really captured the essence of the, the book? Well, I think so. You know, the, the, the book is kind of famed for being the kind of thing you read once to get the story, then you read it again to get the background details, then you read it again to get the way everything's connected. And the movie has got very much that feel. There's, um, because um, I've been on a kind of a road show showing journalists the, the beginning of, of the movie. I've now seen the beginning of the movie maybe four or five times, and I'm still seeing things that I didn't see the previous times. Um, so there is that level of detail and that layering. And again, just like I was saying with Alan's writing and my drawing, hopefully, there's nothing in there just to fill up space or oh, just because we couldn't think of anything else. Everything has a meaning. So it's that insane kind of pattern that everything fits and I'm sure when eventually I mean obviously I urge you all to go to your local multiplex and see it but when it comes out on DVD you know we're all going to be there with the remote control going through it a frame at a time and trying to read the newspapers and trying to see exactly what that is going on in the background and everything does everything joins up yes sir in the cap were you surprised when, when you were doing the initial 12-issue uh, series that your, your use of the uh, smiley face started just appearing culturally in all sorts of different places? And did you do that? You guys do that first, or were you feeding off of something? Well, I mean, the smiley face was around a lot in the 60s. And um, um, when it resurfaced in kind of popular culture outside of comics was after Watchmen had been out. And it was actually... Um, um, Bomb the bass, who were a sort of, I don't know, youngsters call it acid 
something other. And there is that acid connection as well, because I, I don't know, I've, I've never touched this stuff, but you know, I used to buy tabs of acid and they'd have a smiley face on it. But anyway, I, I started... That's your right. Yeah. Come, come back, come yeah. back. So, so, so um, but I started seeing it appear all over the place, and I actually got in touch with Bomb the Bass, and it was a guy called Tim Simonon, I think, and I actually went to see him, and he was a huge Watchman fan, and he'd actually put it on all these posters, because people were wearing the smiley badge again as a symbol of, you know, Acid House or, or whatever. So, yeah, it's all, it's all intertwined. I mean, I can't really say anything, but... Um, you know, um, the, the origins of the smiley face are a bit moot. You know, some people say they invented it and they have a trademark on it. Other people say they invented it and it's in the public domain. It's one of those symbols. It's a bit like Alfred E. Newman, you know. Where did it really come from? So, uh, Well, that's definitely a trademark. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir, over here in the white. What was the inspiration for uh, issue five where you guys had the symmetrical uh, panels? Do you know, it might have been LSD. <laughs> um, no, I'm sure it wasn't. Um, um, well, it was about symmetry. It was the kind of Rorschach issue, and it was the William Blake quote, you know, tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest of the night. What something hand or eye could immortal. frame thy... What immortal. What immortal hand or eye? I could frame thy fearful symmetry. Symmetry. Um, so it just seemed appropriate. I think Alan probably found it and went, Dave... You know, it's about symmetry. We could make the whole thing symmetrical. And I said, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, Alan. And, <laughs> and so it proved to be. Although it was a bit harem scarum on that because we drew it and wrote it and drew it like a page at a time because the schedule was getting really... The schedule, I would say, but I tried to say schedule. The schedule was getting a bit, a bit tight. So it was actually written and drawn two pages at a time and we just trusted that we'd be able to make it work, um, which I think we were able to do. But it just seemed appropriate that, as it was about symmetry, let's make it symmetrical, you know. Uh, you and Alan had both been to New York before you'd worked on the book, right? Um, I had. I think Alan first came to New York when we were working on it, and when I think we'd done like artwork for three issues. I was just curious in terms of how you, what your sense of the city was you know, a city you hadn't lived in, really. In, well, uh, in well, I mean, you know, uh, America, the United States, and New York in particular, have always been like a kind of mythic place to me. They've been like kind of Babylon or something like that. Or, or you know, because, you know, you'd see it on the movies or you'd read it in the comic books. And, and the comic books were like things from an alien civilization, not only the stories and the characters, but also the ads for things that to you are probably quite everyday, like, you know, Daisy BB guns or Schwinn or Squin, no, Schwinn cycles or, you know, all, all these things and Tootsie Rolls and Palisades Park. And to us, you know, and, and me and Alan, they're just like magical things. And I remember when I first came to New York, which was in the 70s, what I wanted to see wasn't the Statue of Liberty or the Empire State Building. I wanted to see the fire plugs in the street, like the hydrants with all the nuts. And I remember being thrilled beyond compare and taking pictures of the, the water towers on the roofs, you know, like the cylindrical water towers, because that's what Steve Ditko drew in Spider-Man. So we had, we got this huge kind of storehouse of New York icons. 
But the wonderful thing about Watchmen was, and it relates back to what you were saying about the um, fashions, is that once we decided it was set in an alternate reality, it didn't have to be real New York and it didn't have to be real fashions because it would have sent me crazy looking at reference for every car I had to draw or every street scene. So what we tried to capture was like the essence of New York. So you see the Chrysler building or you maybe see the Empire State building and the things in the street aren't fire plugs, they're like electric hydrants because now that Dr. Manhattan has synthesized lithium, which is in essential for lightweight batteries you now plug your car into the free electric plug on on the corner so all these things sort of got subsumed into it yes sir right there what's your work process when you sit down with a page do you uh need absolute quiet in the countryside or are you more comfortable in a rave <laughs> a rave i'm back to that one. um well it depends actually you know um when you're writing, which I've done a bit of, or you're laying stuff out, you're in other words, you're translating the script into pictures, I really prefer not to listen to anything at all, mainly because you're so easily distracted at that point, you know, so it's best to have no distractions. When you're penciling it out, you're, you're, the visual part of your mind is working overtime, and you're reading words as well. So you can maybe handle a bit of instrumental music, you know, a bit of... Uh, a bit of um, classical music or an instrumental thing or a bit of jazz or something like that and then when you're inking then you're not really thinking at all inking's best done you know accurately but without too much active thought you know kind of oh I mustn't make this line shaky or oh this is oh you know detail oh you know you just cut you you wing it if you've done the penciling properly you can relax actually I, I always compare it to like climbing over a mountain the, the penciling is the going up the mountain and the inking is coming down the other side. So it's not so much effort. You, you've got to watch where you put your feet, but basically you're now coming down the mountain. The hard work's done and you're just finishing it off. So when I do that, I can listen to people talking. I listen to audio books or drama. or I used, There's a program in England that's on every day called Woman's Hour. And it's about like knitting and making jack... You know, you know what women are like. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and it's an outrage, really. They wouldn't have a thing called man's hour, you know. They would a thing called woman's hour. And I'd, I'd listen to that, so I'd be drawing, like, you know, Rorschach stuffing his fingers down somebody's throat or something like that. And they're, they're, they're talking about how can you get a good babysitter these days, you know. So, um, but, I mean, I can talk, actually, when I'm, I'm inking. And I can, you know, as you'll see, I can talk a bit when I'm, I'm drawing as well. But the funny thing is that no matter what's going on, once you really get into the drawing and once you actually settle down to do it, you kind of forget what's going on anyway. Um, and that's the blessed state. You know, if you read books about psychology, that's the state of flow when it's all, you're, you're not even noticing what you're doing. And you actually get this sense, and if there are people here who draw or paint, you know when it's going really well, when you actually feel like you're inside the picture, it, it's like you're in it and you're drawing it around you. Um, and that's that's the blessed state. We're going to take uh, two more questions. Yes, sir. Yeah. Had you been involved in any of the previous iterations of the movie and development over the years? No. Way back when Alan and I, Alan and I had lunch with Joel Silver, oh who who had the rights at one point. And you, and if you know Joel Silver's oeuvre, you will know what a Joel Silver Watchman would have been like. It was going to have Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. But so is his version of Sergeant Rock, and Arnold would have been Sergeant Rock. Just imagine that for a minute. Apparently, the story would have been his father was an immigrant from Germany 
to uh, the USA. And as a kid, Arnold had been bullied because he was German, so he had to now fight the Nazis to prove that he was a true American. Which, you know, is interesting. He's not Sergeant Rock. But anyway... Um, <laughs> Then Terry Gilliam was, in, was involved, and Alan met him, and I think they just agreed that it was unfilmable, and you can only boggle at what a Terry Gilliam watchman would have been like, you know. You might be seeing it in about, you know, 15 years if we'd started in the early 90s, and I love Terry Gilliam's work, but I think it would just have dragged him down to the bottom of the deep ocean. Um, and... Um, but in fact, I mean, I've said this before, but my, my dear old mum, when she was alive, she, she used to, this is how I used to get news about the movies. Remember, she phoned me up one day, she went, oh, David, she said, oh, good news. I said, what's that? She said, that Monty Python man, he's going to make a film of your comic. That'll be funny, won't it? <laughs> so that was it. And, and I knew that Paul Greengrass was involved and online I saw some sketches and stuff like that. And I knew people had done bits of, production design but it really wasn't until the Zack Snyder version which is the the one that has won the race that I've been involved at all last question uh, young man when when you first uh, heard the actors you know speaking the words and their voices you know during the movie uh, how did that how did that connect or relate to what was in your head when you were drawing the book well I mean very close to what I imagine and and I think another masterstroke of what Zach's done is to cast actors who are not over-familiar. I mean, they're all very talented actors, but you don't go, oh, it's Jude Law, or ah, oh, it's Tom Cruise, you know, it, which in an ensemble piece like Watchmen would absolutely kill it because it would completely un unbalance it. But I was lucky enough to be on the set on the day when they filmed the Crime Busters meeting, which you probably know from the graphic novel is where, you know, um, there's this wonderful plan that they should all band together and solve all the unrest in the United States and the comedian basically just blows it all off and sets fire to the map and walks out. So all the characters were there and they were all talking. And I was in the room with them as well and it really was like a dream coming true. So I'm, I'm thrilled with what the actors have done. And also what you haven't really seen so far, there's been bits of the movie online, there's been clips like you just saw. You get an inkling of it from this is the emotional impact of the film as well. And some of the performances, are, well, all of the performances are just really powerful. And I won't spoil it for you, but there's one moment in it that almost made me cry. So, yeah, the acting's great. Great, and thank you. And uh, now? Now? Now. Shall I, shall I say what, now? I think now, I think go for okay, it. Okay, well, you know, quite often when I do these things, I, I sort of do sketches for people, but there are rather a lot of you um, so I'm going to do your sketch using the latest technology, which is going to work flawlessly, I'm assured. And you can see me on the screen as I draw it. Well, not see me, but see what I'm drawing on the screen as it almost magically comes together. So uh, I, this is all back to front, but thanks for the questions, Greg. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure. And thank all thanks, of Greg. you for uh, you know, listening and enjoying. And, and, uh, and, th and this will be a, really, a real treat. Yeah, and I'm not going to go over there. So, see you in a second. This is a wonderful um, thing here. This is called a Wacom Cintiq tablet, which is like a pressure-sensitive graphics tablet, but you actually draw on the picture. Now, if I can get myself comfortable. It's not like being at home. So you could, uh, you could hum uh, Acid House, or you could talk about babysitting, or marmalade, or something like that, if you like, just to make me feel comfortable and at home. 
Okay, so what I'm going to draw for you is the thing I most often draw that people ask me for the most, and also, to be honest with you, it's the easiest thing to draw. That's the man without a face, that's Rorschach. So I try and draw it properly. Normally I just start with a hat and work down, so I try and give you an idea of how I would actually draw it. I hope this is showing up. Is it showing up? Okay, so this is his head. It's like an egg. He likes eggs. A raw egg is what Rorschach likes, funnily enough. This is his neck. So all you budding artists, note that you try and loosely construct the thing before you draw the exciting details. You won't see his eyes, but that's kind of where his eyes are. That's the middle of his face, very important for a symmetrical character. Now the hat's got to sit on the head. So draw a line around the head. Can you see that? Is that okay? Because I can change the color of it probably. Is that better? Okay, so now draw his hat. There's a guy who appears on British TV called Rolf Harris, and he like paints on the screen. Whoever asked me that question over there probably knows. And he, he always says, he gets to this stage and says, can you see what it is yet? <laughs> so can you see what it is? So this is the hat of Rorschach. The hat of Rorschach. This is the brim of the hat of Rorschach. Is it looking all right? Yeah. He, you can see who it is yet, can't you? Okay, and he's got a, a muffler scarf on. And that all wraps around his neck. That's his grubby raincoat. He hasn't got all the buttons on his coat, poor old Rorschach, so that's his epaulette hanging off. Now, the real challenge in drawing this is you, what I do is I draw any old blot here. And then what I've got to do is draw it round the corner which is easier than drawing eyes around the corner. If you ask any artist what's the most difficult thing to draw, they'll tell you the other eye. <laughs> so this is the other blot. If I suddenly fall over, don't be surprised because I got off a plane about an hour and a half ago, so what a professional. <laughs> right, so that's, uh, that's what I would normally do as the pencils, okay? So now, so that's the uphill bit. That's Dave climbs up Mount Everest. Now we're going to get Dave snowboards down the other side. This is a piece of software called Manga Studio, which is a great bit of software I've been using recently to uh, draw on. It's almost exactly like, um, like real drawing. You've got a choice of tools, can you see? G pen, a Kabura pen, whatever that is. A, a brush, oh a brush, uh, and all these other things. So I'll try with the brush, I'll, I'll just see how thick it draws. Yeah, that's all right. Um, so I'm drawing on the other layer. Can, can you see there's like a pencil layer, which was the lower layer, and there's a, an ink layer here. So I'm now gonna get the pencil layer, knock it down a little bit, so that I can see it, but not too much. And now I will ruin the whole thing, no. <laughs> I'll bring it to a state of magical conclusion. Not with that, I won't. The other wonderful thing about this is you just get rid of your mistakes. Doctors bury their mistakes. I just, I just command Z them. Oh, sorry, command Z. Obviously not quite as relaxed as I would be if I was sitting at home doing this, but uh, as you can see, my drawing position isn't ideal. If you're gonna draw for a living, 
by a really comfortable chair. That's not too bad, is it? Yeah. Okay, now, I've only done one of these sketches, but through the miracle of technology, what we're going to do is print a whole load of these off, and if anybody would like one, if they want to hang around and come to the table where I'll be sitting, I'll put my little monogram on them all, and we'll destroy the file afterwards, okay? And then you've got, you know, one of a limited, probably, what, 200 or something like that. Okay? So... Um, and I think what we're going to do while all that's messing around is we're going to show um, some of the motion comic. We're going to show the trailer for the motion comic. So if you'd like to watch that, and we'll do the technical. So as we mentioned, uh, you can download all sorts of Watchmen-related content from the iTunes Store, uh, including the Watchmen motion comics. There's a free podcast and additional uh, other free uh, movie clips and footage that you can watch, in addition to a free iPhone application. So check that out. And uh, we're going to play some of the podcast for you now. Enjoy. Enjoy.